listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Nice. Nice. I, uh, look, another day, another podcast, and uh, another day when I'm kind of a bit outmatched. Uh, <laughs> you have uh, two uh, two Jeffs, uh, both of whom are designers on the yeah, line. Yeah, so no, sorry about that. I'm kind of I'm like I'm ready to take a back seat already. <laughs> you know, we're just getting started. Well, and, and I'm I mean, to the back. You know, the first 15 minutes before we even started recording, we were talking about all the Macs we've had. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like all these like inside baseball yeah. terminology that I know nothing. Well, about. And it only had four megabytes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're quoting uh, tech specs of Macs that were available <laughs> in 1988. Yeah. That's uh, not my forte. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. No, when they came in smaller packages and folded up was when you kind of get interested. Yeah, yeah. I think my, uh, yeah, it was more the, um, like a computer wasn't something that um, I needed to buy. It's just I needed to make sure I had the right roommate in the university uh, so I could have access to a computer. I yeah. think that was my model. <laughs> well, I mean, you, Certainly do have experience uh, in, in the industry now, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, know, I'm not a complete luddite. No, yeah. no, that's for sure. But so, I, I also do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of 1980s Apple products. <laughs> <laughs> but without further ado, our, our guest today's does. guest does. Yeah, Although yeah. But that's we not probably what we're won't talk about. about it. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about. So joining us today is Jeff Norgord. Jeff is the executive vice president of creative and marketing at Gardner Business Media. Welcome to the Coolering, Jeff. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really great to have you on the show. And um, I think, you know, one of the things I was excited about today's show the most is, of course, I mean, as we uh, interview people uh, each week, um, uh, most often, uh, you know, they, they, they're coming to it from the point of view of the, the business that they work in and the, the manufacturer that they work for. But, you know, at, at Gartner Business Media, um, you see a much bigger picture. So I'm You've really got a ex- bit of a meta view. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really excited for, for today's show. But well, first, uh, maybe introduce our listeners a bit more to you and uh, tell us what Gartner does. So Gartner Business Media first is a uh, family-run business. They've been around for 90-plus years. Um, we are in our fifth generation. They've come on board in the last um, full-time. they come on board in the last year now we have them in the sales model we actually have some people at headquarters now too and so it's really interesting to see a third generation mashup in there right now i have the um, emeritus president rick klein senior and his son rick klein jr um, driving the ship and they have a number of different um, sisters and cousins all working there and it's a it's a really interesting blend of knowledge um, data knowledge um, business acumen marketing knowledge um, manufacturing is their bread and butter when it comes to what they do, and they have done that well for, you know, decades now. But they are a media company, and they have a really interesting intersection of opportunity because when you look at what they're providing people, they're providing their audiences, which are curated and qualified, insight to process and technology. And then they obviously have the advertising side of the world, which is connecting the process and technologies uh, needs, a solution need um, from those advertisers. And then obviously we're um, feeding information to OEMs and the supply side. So it's three different people all intersecting through our media products. Um, How I came into the fold was back in 2008 and I'd worked for a 
um, uh, I guess a niche publisher um, that sold craft and um, special interest publications. And I came out from Denver and ended up falling kind of into Gardner's uh, view and ended up coming on board with them to look at their brands and look at their magazines and look at their websites. And from there, it's just been a, a wild array of opportunity and exposure to the manufacturing industry. But nonetheless, it's been fascinating. And uh, given my original education as a graphic designer, um, the expansion of my knowledge, both in terms of the design skill and the audiences that I'm working with, but also in terms of manufacturing and actually applying that has been a really interesting and intriguing opportunity to extend my knowledge and work with the applications that I'm common to, uh, obviously the Adobe products, but obviously now growing into the CAD side of the world and actually building some of my own products. So it's been a been a really interesting blend of knowledge and applied technologies, both from a graphic design sensibility and from the manufacturing side. That's really cool. I wasn't aware of the uh, the CAD side of your uh, of of your background, so very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> he's currently pointing to all the machines behind him. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to it's hard for the video to really yeah, come across. No, for sure. Yep. Yeah, very cool. It's that is it. It's um, you know it's there's a there's an interesting I mean, having worked in uh, in the agency business for a very long time um and working not just in manufacturing but over decades in a number of sectors and it seems like different sectors kind of value design differently mm. if you will so it's just it's kind of interesting the way I think there was a a bit of a hint of uh, of of insight into how manufacturers value design into your comments. Oh, yeah, I mean, that cuts a number of different ways. Um, I, 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 I joke with my designers that we can never have a single message with our products. Um, that's because we usually have two audiences that are in view to the direct messaging that we have and that's our clients and our readers and we're trying to connect those dots all the time so having a single line story would be the best tactic and that's what we want to do as marketers and designers but ultimately there's a couple of different needs inside those stories so we get a little bit more in the b2b space a little bit more wordy uh, a little bit more bricked up with some content um, obviously images help tell the story but finding the right image um, obviously from a stock world is difficult so you're looking for real-time solutions and visuals that represent where these people are at and what they're looking at in a common manner and that's that's tough. That's really tough. They're not pretty, you know, the, the discrete part manufacturers that, that we write to and get stories from. Some of them have fantastically beautiful shops, but some of them obviously have some older shops that have been generally gener generationally uh, ch changed over and merged with other companies. So those shops are a little bit more gritty, but that's the story. And, you know, the, the pretty ESPN and Nikes and the Apples of the world maybe don't play as well in the B2B space that we're in. Um, it's it's really interesting to always have an opportunity to go into a shop and capture an image or capture a story and then bring it back out in terms of what that looks like visually and having to do some Photoshop work to maybe get rid of some of the gray and the yellow of the fluorescent lights. But, you know, that's what we have to do. Um, it's really nice going to the trade shows, obviously, because the uh, environments there are much more commercialized and they're more compelling. So 
I guess it just cuts a number of different ways. But what we try to do at Gardner is elevate to the highest level um, for both our clients and our readers so that we can show them, hey, here's, here's what you can attain. Here's the best opportunities that you should look at in terms of reaching your clients and connecting to maybe um, people looking to purchase your services and products. I want to get into the, you know, to the, what you've learned with the longevity of Gardner and, and all of the kind of different publications that make it up and, and all of that. But, you know, you've touched a bit on here and I, I don't want to lose sight of the, um, you know, the message of, of how you're bringing, you know, your customer, your clients and, and your audience um, to life within the publications. And, and I think, you know, because Gardner doesn't just create magazines, so there are other parts of the media property as well. Can you talk a bit about how, you know, manufacturing marketers can best leverage um, the media relationships that they have, whether it's with Gardner or, or other publications? Sure. There's a lot to talk about there, isn't there? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously we have um, monthly periodicals, bi-monthly periodicals that go to inboxes, and that's the physical inbox. And um, uniquely, that, that the position here is that different audiences and different people have desires from different channels regarding information and how you reach them. So some people like e-newsletters, emails, some people want to um, get content in a manner that is physical and the print magazine um, is still a very viable and strong device for them to be engaged and learn more process and technologies. Obviously, websites are a driver when it comes to how people retain information and get influenced by that information. And then obviously, in-person events. So all those really come together um, in an integrated model. So as a marketer, the hard part here is making sure that all those channels are reached and they may need to tell a little bit different story, but the messaging is still the same. And it's because that channel acumen and the way that information is digested and presented both that kind of play a hand in how you create compelling content or create a rational experience for knowledge solutions. And that would be maybe, you know, the small frame up of a banner ad on a website can't tell your whole story so you're creating that awareness model and where you may have a longer email opportunity you can tell a broader story on a solution or a technology so it just i think it really depends on what channel you're speaking to and what devices you use and the contextual nature of that you know and the 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 death of print has been uh, uh, <laughs> talked about for at least the last 20 or 30 i think years. it's died at least like 20 or 30 times in there and then yeah, keeps right. coming back yeah how are you i guess how are you um seeing the audience uh, experiencing the print side of the uh, of the house um you know is there uh, have, have you seen a stabilization there or how i guess i don't want to put words in your mouth at all so i'll just stop and let you answer the question <laughs> I mean, this, this is also a complex story, but the reality of it is um, when it comes to process and technology application models um, to reach people that would be interested in purchasing that, um, they like the magazine. They also like websites, but they like the magazine and they like the cleanliness of the magazine. The chatter from the web is something they have a hard time with. The the nature of the inbox calling at them through their email is something they get a little tired of. So they do like the simplicity of the magazine and the and the quiet voice that offers and, and, the, and the sensibility that it's not being affected by other influencers or other influences um, in that manner. So when we curate our names, right? So what we do at Gardner is we 
um, go through an audit every year and we, we look at two, three, uh, one, two, and three year names to make sure the people that are receiving our magazines are the right people. And that's the difference between the print world that we hear about that is dead and the print world that is technology and process acumen. And, and, and there is some truth to the fact that the news cycle is so quick now and it's so easily attained through the World Wide Web, that internet thing, that you know it, it does become past day the next day. Things have already moved forward. But people inside the um, manufacturing space, technologies still move, they, they, they progress, but the insight for them is still relevant uh, maybe in decades, maybe a decade, maybe five to six years, depending on technology you're looking at. So you don't have to lose sight of the value of print, both in terms of a periodical or even in somebody's mailbox. Um, there is still a value for something that's tangible. And, there, and we've looked at information that says people want that. And we've had responses from a number of our readers to say, I still want to get the emails. I still want to get the magazine. I still want to get the website. And some people on our data have obviously shown they really have an appetite for email. So again, it just depends on how that mix works. But the print world is not going away anytime soon for our properties. And we have names and they're not hard to find. People are always requesting it. And people celebrate it with us. You know, they've sent us photos of their bookshelves where they've collected literally three decades of the magazine and it's all sequenced out and beautifully stacked like an encyclopedia. Oh man, as a creative lead, if you see yeah. that, that's gotta feel good. Yeah. You're like, okay, it's, okay, okay. This is who I'm this is who I'm doing this magazine for. Yeah, and they and they respond to it. And people that have, you know, built their careers inside of the manufacturing space have literally said, Jeff, if it wasn't for modern machine shop magazine um, I wouldn't be in the place I'm in. I use this magazine to gain the most knowledge. And this is actually from one of my marketer uh, friends. He's like, I use Modern Machine Shop to learn what other advertisers were doing, but also to learn about the technologies and how people are speaking to each other. And here there's obviously syntax and lingo in there that represents a good way to connect to the readers. But that was a device they used and it was, it was succinct. It was contained. It wasn't full of the chatter and the background noise that often happens when it comes to visiting the world of the web and how crazy that space is when it comes to getting something in a really constrained environment that you can really digest and wholesale say i'm taking something away from this every time i open it up yeah yeah i could see the actual com if, if uh, forced to give one up i would actually probably keep email and uh and the print <laughs> publication and throw away the website like if you had to and i say that yeah. as somebody who's made a pretty decent living being associated with the building of websites but right um, right yeah but, but there is a you know, in, in terms of the communication channels that endure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, and, uh, and, you know, you can't, well, I'm sure you can, but, uh, you know, the, the nicheness and or nicheness, depending on where you are, uh, of these publications plays a big role in their success mm -hmm. and longevity. You know, like if they were about everything, yeah. you and, know. And connecting that to email gives them. Um, yeah, the ability to cross channels. Right, right. So, yeah. yeah. I do think, I do, I do think, I just want to point out something I thought was really spot on and and <laughs> that's the idea that you know the endurance of print has been proven over and over in a niche model right i mean you take about that broad scale conversation and it's tough to cons tough to convey all the opportunities for a reader on that but when you go vertical in the b2b space especially in manufacturing and their niche processes there's nothing better than connecting with us and 
We have trade shows, obviously, that connect in that space. We have emails that point to that. But the magazine tells that story and connects with those people in a first-person narrative, which is really hard to do online. Uh, email can do it too, obviously. So back to your point about if you had to let go of one of the sensibilities in marketing, which one would you let go of? It's interesting you said website because obviously that's on our studies, the supplier websites are the most um, used device um, to get information, but ultimately all the devices as a marketer that you're using, the you know, web banners, display ads and print, maybe even cu custom content pieces, email, they all point back to the website, but that's more of a, you know, a technical download more so than it is a selling download. Well, let's, let's dive into that then. Um, you've talked a bit about, uh, um, you know, what, what's been learned over the years and what you're seeing and not just from, obviously, you know, we're, we're interested about this from a, a marketing and media and, um, that side and sales side of things. But I, I think that there's a broader influence and some interesting happenings, of course, coming out of the last, uh, year and a half, everything, everything's changed, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yet it hasn't. So what, what are you seeing there? I, I would actually kind of step back and look at maybe the last 15 years. And I, I'm building a present with my president right now regarding the impact of our media products and how they've you know, really grown um, from 2006 to 2016. And I think 2016 was a breakout point for a lot of the digital products and opportunities there. And then you look at what's happening you know, in the last 18 months, 24 months about where that was ramping up and then how we had to pivot then back to a virtual world, right? Where everything was remote and everything was at a distance and that handshake does not exist. And I'm really curious to see how the handshake comes back from an in-person narrative. But I, I do believe that having both the awareness side and you know the demand gen and the lead gen models for that funnel still active wholesale and an integrated campaign is really important but that comes from all the channels you know and you got the social interaction there you know there could be some conversation there that could be debated about the impact of social um, i think there's probably some stronger channels like linkedin to um, connect the dots there. I don't think it's really a place where people are gonna dive into technology and process opportunities. I think it's a good place to keep connected to people you may already know. And it's harder to reach people you don't there. Um, definitely on the awareness side though, you're still gonna have to have the broad scale approach. You're gonna have to hit all the channels. Then once you start diving into building content and helping you know, funnel that into readers, that's gonna be the part where the new media world's gonna help provide opportunity there and generating interest and, and looking and capturing activity and then following up with the lead opportunity. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. You, you mentioned the uh, the trade show side of things um, that you have. And we've had some interesting conversations of late with people who think that, you know, trade shows are, are not just... Um, going to come back, but they're going to explode and they're going to be incredibly relevant and important going forward. What's, what's your sense on that? Or human. 
we, we are, and we want to talk to one another. We want to see it in person. I mean, <laughs> I, I go to these large industrial trade shows, and, and these machines, obviously, for safety reasons, all the chips are flying in these boxes. And so you have seven guys there, you know, with their hands over the, around their eyes trying to peer into this reflective glass. And, you know, it's not that they're touching that machine while it's turning, but they're getting a sensibility for all the operations that can happen, and they, and they get a easier take on looking at seven or eight different businesses in the scope of what six hours then they get a lunch in between that too they may connect with some other um, co-workers or you know people they work with in the industry so that connection is still human and i think the reality of a trade show offers that human experience both in terms of proof is in the pudding you can see the machine you can feel it you can see the results from it and talk to a knowledge uh, domain expert on that machine but also you get this environment that hey we're, we're in this together you know there's a there's a trade show happening for our industry and it's important for all of us to keep the industry alive for the sense that hey we're doing this both for our own business sake, but also for the country and also for what the greater good is. And I think that's why events are more impactful right now. I think they're going to see an uptick. I agree with that. I, I'm really curious to see how the virtual side of events is going to move. Um, but definitely on the on the in-person side, you know, we, we got some really robust uh, events. We've launched a couple of new events coming, in to, uh, coming out of 20 for 21 and 22. And, and the response from our... Um, Builders and suppliers has been, you know, just absolute delight. Oh, thanks for putting this together. We're really excited to see this. And for the trade shows that we already had um, established, the the need and the opportunity from our um, both our readers and our uh, machine tool builders are like, yeah, this is fantastic. I can't wait to see everybody again. Let's connect. It'll be great to be see you in person, share a beer at the end of the show, or whatever it's going to be. But it's it's been really positive, and I think it will come back to a strong to a stronger degree how that how that lasts and what the what the turn of events are in terms of you know five years from now. I think my personal opinion, I think we could see a consolidation of some um, smaller shows um, just because of the logistics side of the world and the cost to put a show on at a smaller venue, although those are nice and niche, putting together three or four different smaller shows into a bigger venue may provide a better opportunity for people seeking technology solutions. Yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, I think a lot of the conversation has been around, or a lot of the forecasting has suggested, oh, we'll have more of a hybrid models going forward everybody wants a hybrid whether they're talking about their work environment oh it's going to be off. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, but i i i'm i'm not hearing that in the people that i speak to that are regular conference goers the most of what i hear from them is if i have to sit in on another virtual conference i'm going to blow my brains out and, <laughs> and 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 if i can just step away from it for for now and I mean, go to something in person that would be amazing yes i that, that's right I, I it's i don't know how do you cut this up right because ultimately there's still the small event world right and that relevance is important because you can really focus in, in point at specific attributes and i think like a webinar in a sense is a great event right you can get some impactful audience and you know i've had people that have as few as 60 um, attendees at a small event webinar that's maybe three hours long but we've had as many as 600 that have paid for that too that want that information so you know if i don't have to spend the money to if i'm a you know if i'm a 
facility and I don't have to spend my engine send my engineers across the country for three days or two days and keep them on site as our business is ramping up. There's going to be some viability with smaller digital events. But I think in terms of major and capital equipment investments, I think that in-person experience is going to be stronger for a way to learn what offerings are out there. I have to wonder what you said there. I, I don't know if this is what you meant exactly, but uh, it, what it spurred in, in me was a, a thought, you know, why don't, you know, webinar organizers, trade show organizers, whatever, make available a very inexpensive offering that's available to anyone who doesn't want to go and doesn't want to attend, but they want to have all the material. <laughs> like, you know, why don't we make like a $300 option available for those people I mean, those would sell really well anyway just a thought i mean like a conference attendee like instead of going to the conference and spending two thousand dollars to go or something like that yeah, you just get all the stuff when it's over like this not the swag bag all the record I mean, well maybe you could get that too right. but get the recordings get all the uh all the notes everything that would be great um without any of the in-person hangover yeah, yeah. really of uh yeah, yeah. Exactly. okay okay so you know, Jeff, I wanted to um, uh, just to dig in a bit to the um, just the history of uh, of data and information that Gartner has available. This kind of notion of uh, 93, 94 years of, of of historical data on the manufacturing sector writ large, and what you're seeing from a point of view of um, kind of the cyclical nature of uh, uh, of the industry and where we're at now in the cycle that you see. So and I think this is just a bigger conversation more to help, help marketers understand the, the broad context within which they're operating, if you will. There's a lot. So I will say this out of the box. I am the topical side of that story. Um, I have econom I have both a full-time economist and um, our um, lead intelligence officer that would probably be better at telling the greater story here. But what I can say right now is, you know, we've purchased over the last four decades, we've purchased a number of properties that had long running surveys and uh, effects on uh, measuring the effects on the manufacturing industry. Um, we do have a couple of them that have had a lot of resonance recently. And the, the primary one is the Gardner, um, the metalworking story here. And that that became something we started really diving deep into um, about 40 years ago. And it was built by a um, association and we ended up taking over in the mid eighties. I'm not sure exact date, but we've been doing that survey now for 40 years and, you know, 40 years of data regarding the newest technology and obviously the CNC side of the world is affecting all manufacturers. So you can see that cycle through that model. Um, in detail um, for marketers what again what's happening is is that as that cycle happens and you're in a downturn don't shut it down right don't shut the downturn don't let the downturn take away your budgets this is when people are looking for efficiencies people are looking to save costs and so through that efficiency model you can look at generating better returns on equipment and so as a marketer providing opportunities and manufacturing for solution seekers the awareness opportunity becomes more resonant. They may not be purchasing right then, but you're starting to build your funnel up and creating that idea of, hey, there's an awareness model in here. Um, we also have a 
a broader survey that looks at the total landscape on the uh, World Machine Tool Survey. And I think around 30 years ago, we took that over. I'm not sure who that was taken over from, but it looks at all the, the major manufacturing countries, right? So you're talking Europe, Asia, North America, South America, and all those people chime in with their GDPs and what they can expect in terms of the spends there. Um, we obviously have a more granular um, interest when it comes to what the shops are doing, the facilities, the, the actual manufacturer, discrete part manufacturers are doing. And we have a thing called a survey called Top Shops. And it's actually a really unique story. It has a benchmarking model. It talks to um, facilities and shops about what they're doing from an HR standpoint. It does um, a story about what they're doing when it comes to an efficiency and labor standpoint. There's, a, I think there's four primary factors in there. Off the top of my head, I can't remember them, sorry. But ultimately what it does is it looks at what they're doing. Then we pivot with those shops and with the machine um, builders and talk to them about, hey, where are we going in the future? So we also have a survey project that looks at what the best practices are in total for a shop. And that's a year over year benchmarking practice that you know kind of rounds it all up. There is um, different verticals that we have indexes for that watch the market conditions in the composite space and the plastic space. Um, obviously the metalworking as we talked about too, and mold making actually, uh, given the influx of plastics and all those different in markets, the mold making world, um, both over in Asia and in North America is pretty robust. So we can look at that and see the trends moving up or down. As a marketer, all those things are relevant, right? Because if you can start seeing the trends, that's that's a way for you to look at investment and look at where the ROI is going to be relevant. I, I think everybody's looking for the overall lead gen ROI, right? But you can't do that wholesale. It's a it's a good metric to have, but the activity metric and creating awareness and looking at downloads from maybe some content you have, that's a part of that total funnel. And so as you go through that landscape of the dip and the rise again, and we're obviously in a rise here. Our intelligence shows us that this is the time when you want to really start getting a, a bigger budget to reach um, technology and solution seekers and also look at opportunities to create, hey, a better connection to them, whether it be a multi-channel approach, which is recommended, and more faceted personal connections to these people that you may have lists from or connected through on the media side. I think you noted uh, that certainly in an upturn now, and uh, I think you know most people really feel that. And then they, they also you know there's the, those uh, persistent concerns around supply chain, of course, uh, as more and more um, uh, production is kind of reshored, um, and uh, coming out of the pandemic, that's certainly um, um, uh, a consistent trend that we're, we're seeing. Lots of patterns emerging there, and then. Of course, the other persistent concern is: Will the workforce be there to support this expansion? Um, and uh, so, how does that fit uh, those specific dynamics in the in the context of the the cycles that you see and have mapped at Gartner? Because, of course, I suppose the the labor shortage or skills gap, et cetera, has been a long uh, talked about yeah. uh, concern. Um, let me let me talk let me talk to you a little bit about the labor shortage and what's been happening there. I, I can't you know dive into all the metrics and I'd point back to my uh, chief economist Stephen Klein Jr. But what I can say is that's obviously a conversation to have skilled labor skill, skilled labor. Pardon me. And one of the things we talk about now is um, a sustainable workforce. Right. It's not about next gen as much as 
the people that are already on board with me? How do I make sure that they're happy and they're producing and they're effective? And then also the world of automation is affecting all this too. So as you look at what happens on constraints with labor, you're going to look for a way to still produce your parts. And so when you look at automation, that will be part of the causation to, you know, find efficiencies, to find ways to produce more parts without going through this constant um, effort to overtrain and train and train again. But the idea is that you still have to have people run that automation. You still have to have um, knowledge experts to put that together. And that's the hard part, right? That's the difficult part is finding the engineers and the, the knowledge base to really put the pieces together when it comes to a full process and technology build out. And that's where it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, the reshoring initiative happens and who's going to come in to the fold on the, in the North America side to help build those new devices and build those new systems up, integrated systems, you know, small shop systems, the the ease of accessing affordable robotics, I think, is going to play into this, but you still need the people that know how to do it. So it's on the culture is enlarged for America to recognize that you still need very talented people, very skilled people, and they have to be educated in a manner that's applied in the manufacturing space right away. But what does that look like? Well, you can't do it overnight. So maybe over a two or five year period, we look at investing or we look at, you know, really focusing on the needs inside of manufacturing when it comes to design engineering, when it comes to um, process and manufacturing. And that would have to come from schools. And there's a number of schools that are doing that and looking at this opportunity. But it's really important we look at it as a, as a broader narrative for America. And if we want to stay, or for some people would say, get back in the game of manufacturing, we've always been in it, but get back in the high production model, maybe not so much. I think it's going to be more finite and high quality parts in terms of a production model that will play into it, but that takes more skilled knowledge and a higher degree of um, intelligence, basically, to build all those operatives across the supply chain. It's on the CEOs, it's on the CIOs, it's on the CFOs to all come together and recognize if you wanna bring it back, it's gonna take a long view and it's gonna take a long investment to make sure it all comes back in a way that we can manage it. Because as easy as it went away, you know, and if it comes back with that much of a challenge, well, wouldn't it be easy for it to go away again? Then if it's that much of a constraint to get that back as an operative for facilities and manufacturing. Well, Jeff, I, I feel like we could probably just kind of uh, banter uh, all day. Uh, so <laughs> it's like, where did we ever end the conversation? So why don't we end it now? Uh, it's been great to have you on the show. It's just, uh, I, I really enjoyed the the meandering conversation and uh, insight <laughs> yeah, into a lot uh, of bases. Yeah, 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 it's insight into uh, manufacturing writ large. It's uh, it's just been a pleasure. Yeah, it's absolutely been a blast talking to you guys and letting me kind of riff with you all. There's a lot to talk about, and I hope we can bring some other people on from Gardner to get more specific. And I think that the story on the intelligence world would be a fantastic story for you guys to cover. It'd be great. Thanks for having me on. We'll look forward to that. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. <laughs>